Hello, it's lovely to have you with us. This is The Sleep Mums, a baby sleep podcast for parents by parents. I'm Kat Cuby, broadcaster, mum and lover of cheese, both the one you eat and 80s movies. And this is Sarah Carpenter, baby sleep expert, Norland trained nanny and mama. Did I not tell you about that inquiry that we had from Amsterdam? No, was that a saucy one? Uh, it was someone that wanted a Norlander in a uniform. Oh, do you know what? I don't quite know about that, given that this is a baby <laughs> podcast. Yeah, total fetish. Total fetish. <laughs> it was horrible. Together, we are the Sleep Mums. As you probably know by now, we love to chat. So if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us online at The Sleep Mums or on our website, thesleepmums.co.uk. This episode is about the bedtime routine, which I think weirdly sounds like it needs some sort of a drum roll or something, or at least capitals. The bedtime routine. Perhaps because in many ways, it is like a big neon sign that tells baby it is now time for the big sleep. Well, that's the hope anyway. So here are five things you need to know about the bedtime routine. No sleeping at the back, just yet. So first of all, why is a bedtime routine important? I mean, in the early days, it's not like baby's going to sleep all the way through the night until morning. So it can feel a bit strange to be making a big deal of bedtime. In some ways, it sort of feels like they're just going down for another nap. It's just at bedtime. So Sarah, why is a bedtime routine important? Well, you've pretty much hit the nail on the head with what you've already said um, about it being a nap. Essentially, in those early days, it is. You're going to split your night into more naps. But the key thing is how you deal with the wake-ups between those naps. And by doing your bedtime routine, it's different to how you behave during the day. And you're setting yourself up to then have a technique to resettle throughout the night. So what you do at bedtime is exactly what you're going to do every time that baby wakes up during the night and the major importance of the bedtime routine is that you're distinguishing between daytime and nighttime and you're catching baby before they get overtired which I know we've spoken about a lot in other episodes but it is really key to have baby going to bed before they're overtired. So in many ways you're kind of setting up a foundation for for what's to come so yes they are kind of nighttime naps but also at some point down the line you hope you're going to put baby to bed with their bedtime routine and da, 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 they're gonna sleep all the way through the night and they will do it at some point we promise and hopefully with our help it might happen a little bit sooner so that's why a bedtime routine is important but what on earth is a bedtime routine? I know we spoke last week about sleep cues and a nap time routine, but what separates a nap time routine from a bedtime routine and what sort of things might you expect to have or what could you have in a bedtime routine? I mean, the two are very similar. You know, you're, you're going to use a lot of your key things from your bedtime routine. You are going to use in your nap time routine as well. But your nap routine, as we said last week, is a quick routine to get them to bed for their nap so your bedtime routine is going to start a lot earlier realistically when baby is very small your bedtime routine really is starting around about four o'clock in the afternoon which sounds insane because they're not going to bed at four o'clock in the afternoon but the way you prep with those last couple of hours of the day that will set you up for having a better bedtime so you're not letting baby 
get overtired. You're really targeting those two and a half to three hours from sort of four o'clock. You're really splitting that into segments to allow you to fit everything that you need to fit in for bedtime into that short space of time without letting baby get overtired. I think people might be quite surprised by going, what, it starts at four? But maybe we could just talk through what that might look like so so for example if you're aiming for a sort of 6 30 6 45 bedtime at four o'clock you're going to do a feed breast or bottle it's going to be a slightly shorter feed than some of the other ones you know baby might not take as much from the breast or they might have a slightly reduced bottle when baby well and then have a very short stimulating play so that might involve um doing a little bit of tummy time, maybe practicing some rolling over, dangling a mobile above them that they can have a little look at, something that's black and white. Or if you've got older siblings, just kind of letting them get up and in their face a little bit. Then you're going to aim for a short nap. So it will start initially, it'll be around about a 45-minute nap, and that will then reduce right back to a 20-minute nap as baby gets older. What sort of age do do they drop that nap? So they drop that third nap at six months. You definitely wouldn't have them doing a third nap at six months um, or a late nap at six months. But initially, they will have that slightly longer nap and then it will reduce up to the six-month mark. I used to just, um, with my son, obviously having another child, I would just pop him in the bassinet in the kitchen because it sort of he would kind of go to sleep, but it would not be quite as deep a sleep as if I put him down properly. It It always felt like he was just kind of catching some Zs. Exactly. And that helps so it can, him kind of get to bed. Yeah. It pushes them through to bedtime without them being overtired. But yeah, you can do it in the kitchen, you can have them in the sling or carrier, you know, whatever you're doing that fits in with your lifestyle. If you've only got one baby, then that's the one that's quite nice just to not get off the couch and just yeah. sit and have a cuddle. Yeah. So you would do that and then you want to aim for your kind of wind down changing time. So if you're having a bath. It's really important not to keep a baby in the bath for too long because the change to their body temperature can then affect their tiredness levels. So it really is a short burst in the bath. You're looking at sort of five, maybe 10 minutes, absolutely max. And then you're getting them changed into their pajamas. And you don't have to do a bath. Don't get hung up on that bath. They don't need to have a bath every day. Babies generally aren't dirty. And you might not have a bath. You you know, exactly. you might have a a sink or a baby bath Mm -hmm. or even a shower. Exactly. So the key thing is not to get hung up on those things. You know, that what we what we are putting into a bedtime routine, the actual things that you should be focusing on are getting the last two feeds in and having that short nap because that's what's going to prevent overtiredness and overhungriness. So those are sort of the big steps, if you like. And then there are the smaller steps, which might be similar to a nap time routine, which is swaddling a darkened room and white noise. Or maybe a song or something. Yep. I mean, swaddling, again, is key at the bedtime routine if that's the age and stage that your baby's at. So it'll either be a swaddle or a sleeping bag. A lot of people prefer not to swaddle or put into the sleeping bag until the end of the last feed because they find it more tricky to try and feed them when they're swaddled or Mm -hmm. they find that the um, sleeping bag becomes a trigger and as soon as baby goes into that, they automatically go to sleep. So it's something that you need to play around with that a little bit to find what works for you and your baby. There is no right or 
you're wrong at that stage as to what you do first. And that will change as well. You know, a baby who has previously responded really well to going into the swaddle and then having the last feed, when it comes to the sleeping bag, they may change and want to have the feed and then go into the sleeping bag. So at that point, you would just lift them, burp them before putting them down properly. So I think as well, it's about having the confidence or we want to give you the confidence to feel comfortable to have a little play around with some of these things and work out what works best for you and your baby within that kind of the idea of having a bedtime routine. Yeah, definitely. Everyone is different. And I think, again, it's really important to remember that although we are telling people to be consistent and it is really key, it's also good to remember that there is flexibility within the consistency. So once you're established with everything that we talk about, there does need to be a little bit of flexibility. I remember one client in particular who called me from an airport in Paris in a complete panic because their baby was 12 weeks old and the flight had been delayed and it was going to be the first night that they hadn't done a bath. Yeah, And they just didn't know what to do, you know, because they had got psychologically their heads were in that routine and they were so worried that this baby not having a bath was going to throw their whole night off. And so, you know, I had to talk them down from that and say, it's absolutely fine. You didn't now just need to get baby into his pajamas, give him his feed and pop him to bed and he will be absolutely fine. And he was. And after that little blip for them, they then relaxed a lot more as well. And although they still had this perfect bedtime routine, they were much more capable of making adaptions to it to suit them and suit their lifestyles at that time. I think um, obviously a big part of the routine is for a baby because as we say, it's the steps to lead them towards sleep and that consistency is comforting for them. But there's also a wee bit of it for parents. Like I have to say, you know, I was kind of so exhausted that for me, having specific things that we did, particularly at that point of day, actually I, f- I found comforting as well. And I, But as you're saying, as a parent, you kind of can get caught up in that, oh, it has to be like this. And it can feel stressful to, to look out with that. Yeah, I think, you know, that last part of the day, I'm sure most people will have um, heard it being referred to as the witching hour. Mm-hmm. And that can just basically mean that from kind of four o'clock in the afternoon, baby or toddler is super grumpy and really puts your patience to the test as a parent yeah that's why I I actually call it the twitching hour because I keep looking at the clock (laughs) yeah and the thing is if you've got a good routine then actually it reduces the stress at that time of day because what can feel like an overwhelming three hours ahead of you suddenly becomes shorter sort of 30 minute increments and that's much easier to get through than looking at it as a three-hour block. Now on to our third thing about bedtime routines. Who does it? We talk a lot about consistency and keeping things the same so baby knows what happens next but does that mean that the same person has to always do the bedtime routine? Definitely not. Absolutely not. This is the time of day where All hands can be on deck and it's really, really important to make sure that you use them. Everyone needs a break. You know, even the parent who's been out at work is equally going to need a break as much as the parent who stayed at home with the baby. So it's really important that you can switch and change things up. You can have designated things within the routine. For example, if baby is taking a bottle, then it is quite nice for the parent who's not been there all day to actually come in at that point and do that final bottle 
and birth pain. And if the baby's breastfed, then the alternative parent can do the bath. But what's really important is to make sure that you then alternate and switch and mix things up when it comes to actually putting baby to bed. There's nothing worse for one parent to feel like all the responsibility is on them for bedtime because that then means that they feel that same responsibility all night. And as nice as it is to sort of give one parent the consistent night's sleep, it's not sustainable for the parent that's doing the nights. So if you can share the load, that is definitely the way forward. Did you sort of think that it feels like if you've put baby to bed, then you're doing the wake-ups? Is that, is that what you yes. mean? Definitely. If you if you feel like you're the only parent that can settle baby at bedtime, you automatically feel like you're the only parent that can settle them all night. I'm going to have to hold my hands up here, given that I've probably done the bedtime routine for two children every single night for like, well, years. Uh, and the further down the line you get to try and change things, the harder it gets. So if you start that from the kind of outset, if it's possible for you, then I, yeah, I think it's definitely worth doing. It is hard if you have a parent um, who's away a lot or works late and it's just, it is impossible. But if you can mix it up, it can be a benefit. Yeah, definitely. And the thing to remember as well is that although we're saying that the parent who's put the baby to bed can then feel the responsibility for settling overnight, if there is another parent there that can do it, if they start that from a young age as well, so even if they have never done a bedtime, if they're doing consistent overnight feeds, then that can become a habit for the baby too. So they'll then be used to adapting between the two parents. I think what's most important is um, that everyone who is involved, um, whether it's a parent or a caregiver, knows what that bedtime routine looks like and what settling looks like. And so anyone can kind of pick up the baton and do it. And it doesn't have to be one person's mantle. Sorry, it's my my mum. It's another generation of mums. Hi, mum. I'm just doing a, I'm just doing a recording thing with Sarah. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Speak oh. to you later. Bye. Right, bye. <laughs> Sorry about that because I I can't. I hung up on the phone and obviously, being a mum, she then just called me back. So, <laughs> brilliant. That was a wee introduction to my mum, the original sweet mum. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, we were just talking about different parents having the confidence and the skills to do it, um, different parents and different caregivers, and just kind of uh, making sure everyone's on the same page so that they know what to do to help baby get off to sleep. Baby's daytime routine changes a lot in the first year, going from lots of naps, we spoke about that third nap at the beginning, to two naps to one nap from milk feeds to weaning so we are going to talk about routines and schedules through the first year in our next episode but whilst we're here we should probably talk about how a bedtime routine changes over time so that's the fourth thing uh, how bedtime routines change so Sarah does a bedtime routine change a lot no it doesn't change a lot, to be honest. The things that you do at the beginning are quite often going to be the things that you're still doing when baby is three, four years old. But they'll be different in that 
where you might have sung a song, then you'll read a story. Where you'll have had a snuggly breastfeed or a snuggly bottle, that'll become a cup of milk during the story. So those are the things that are going to change. But the surroundings, um, other than moving from maybe mum and dad's room into their own room, that that's not going to change. You know, they are still going to be in their cot. They're going to still have the same sleeping bags. All those things will be consistent on whatever comfort are or sleep cue sound that you've used in the beginning. That's what they'll keep using. So my daughter, who is four and a half, had one of these um, animals that plays a tune and plays white noise, which she had when she was a baby. And we, we did use it a lot. And she still listens to it going to sleep. And I'm, I'm sort of thinking, is she going to be listening to that as a teenager? <laughs> this weird harp music. <laughs> But yeah, there is something quite comforting in the fact that actually what you're setting up now with baby as a bedtime routine doesn't have to change. Of of course, those like wee things will change within it, but overall, it can be a very consistent thing. And I do th- I do think that's comforting for for kids and for parents. And as I say, when you get to the end of the day, kind of knowing what's happening next. Like you say, everyone knows where they're at, but it's it's the baby into the child that really does you know a lot of children are so comfortable with their bedtime routine that they're basically doing it themselves and they're just going off to sleep so easily because that is the routine that they've had for so long so you know they're at bar reading themselves a story you're still there for that part but everything else you know they get themselves together with their little comforters they have you know they know what they like they know the position that they like to sleep in and they just settle so easily and you can get to a point where you're they either tell themselves stories like head stories or (laughs) or, or make it up from the book or sing themselves songs to sleep which is brilliant (laughs) yep definitely gives us all a break Um, my youngest is taken to trying to read a magazine when she goes to bed a little comic thing Mm, um, quite often I'll then go down to check on her and the comic will be on her face where she's fallen asleep under it I think as well, you know, you were talking about your your client who had obviously gone on a trip. We've definitely had that as well, where maybe we've been out in the car late and I've actually ended up sort of doing a pseudo bedtime routine in the car, like whether it's reading a story, I I know some of them off by heart, or singing the songs and kind of still doing those things, making sure they have their comforter. So you can do it in the strangest of places. Mm -hmm. That sounds wrong, but you know what? (laughs) You can do the bedtime routine in the strangest of places. And if you have set that up, then you still have that consistency and it works. Definitely. So you can get sleeping bags, for example, that are travel sleeping bags. So if you know that you're going to be leaving someone's house or leaving a restaurant at a specific time, then you can just engineer it so that you're doing the bedtime routine, popping them into their little travel sleeping bag for the car seat and then just transferring them when you get home. And because the routine is so ingrained for that baby, they'll transfer really easily. So one of the most important things for Sarah and I is that we talk about how things work for different people and different babies. Often sleep experts or books cannot be very flexible or adaptable. So the final thing we want to talk about when it comes to bedtime routines is how to adapt and change one to make it suit you. So there might be loads of reasons you want to adapt the kind of routine we've spoken about, either as a one-off, like we're talking about in a car, (laughs) or because you have other children. Or quite simply, you want your evening to look a bit different for you. Maybe you need to go to work or, wait a minute, you want to go out, fancy pants. (laughs) 
So there are a number of reasons you might want to switch it up. So that's what we're going to talk about. How can a bedtime routine be adapted and what are the different reasons, I guess, you might want to adapt it? So, I mean, you're right. The major reasons why you would want to adapt it is if you've maybe gone for a day out and you you just don't want to be restricted to coming home in time. Or if you've got a meal planned and you do want to go out for dinner, you know, if you're at home, you would just do the bedtime routine as normal. But instead of putting the baby into the cot, you'd be putting them into either the pram or the car seat to go to wherever you're going for dinner. And at that point, you would just try and keep things really consistent in terms of having, you know, your white noise or your shush or your music. You could pop that into the pram or the car seat where they are and just have that play in, in the restaurant or at your friend's house. If possible, if you are at a friend's house, then you would want to be hopping them into a travel cot or if they're in the pram, then keeping them in the bassinet part. Um, but just again, have them in that dimly lit room. And then when you're coming home, if a baby is still young enough that they're having feeds overnight, you would just tie coming home in with having a feed and then popping them down. If they're not, if they're back past that stage, because they've already done their bedtime routine, they'll be flexible enough just to lift and transfer. And obviously the major one for a lot of people when they want to adapt things is when they are going on holiday, because nobody wants to go on holiday and spend every night in the apartment you know you do you want that flexibility then relax and do adapt things so either do a slightly later bedtime routine or a slightly earlier bedtime routine to accommodate what you want to do you know everything can be tweaked we always talk about the um, half hour rule the 30 minute rule so a baby might get a little bit hungry 30 minutes earlier or they might not be hungry until 30 minutes later they might be ready for a nap 30 minutes earlier likewise 30 minutes later so you've got that window to really change things up for naps for waking up for bedtimes that's your flexibility I also think it's really important to say that it doesn't always happen like where it's not always some smooth sailing thing that you know you kind of do your bedtime routine and baby immediately goes to sleep whether you're in a restaurant or a nightclub or you're at home as a parent who was quite anxious about how things would turn out when we went out sometimes it does go tits up yeah definitely so it's good to try these things it's also absolutely fine if you don't want to leave this if you don't want to try these things and if you try it and it is a total disaster tomorrow's another day you will get back on track you will survive that night it might not feel like it at the time but you will and then you will start again the next day and you'll start afresh and if you go out and you last an hour and then one of you comes home with the baby that's okay You've tried it. It's scary being a new parent, but it's okay to try new things and not enjoy them and change it again. Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, whatever your expectations are, (laughs) uh, expect them to be lowered. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Even going out for a short period of time, if you're if you're feeling stressed about going out can be enough to make you realize that it's it's all okay and as we say, Mm -hmm. if things go out the window one night, it's not going to put things out of whack forever each week we put a baby sleep question to sarah it's a wee bit like mastermind and sleep is our chosen question dun, dun, dun. that's not quite the mastermind team tune is it but anyway uh, this week it's a question from michael hi sarah and kat how are you both doing we have a new baby and i'm really struggling to support my wife overnight as i feel as though i should be sleeping more thanks good question but 
also a hard one when different partners have different expectations of where you're at. The dads, partners who are trying to support their wives and partners who have just had a baby, it can feel like you're doing nothing and it can feel very, very frustrating. You sort of want to fast forward through that sleepless night stage or frustrating evening stage when they're not settling just because you feel like you're not doing enough. You can offer to take over. You can bring them a cup of tea, bring them something to eat, you know, hold the baby for five minutes while they eat or feed that mum. There is nothing wrong with actually letting mum carry on with a feed or if she's not ready to actually let someone else hold the baby, just spoon feed her. It's so important that she gets fed too. And also, you know, if if they're in a position where mum's comfortable enough to leave the baby, then run her a bath, run her a bath go in, take the baby and send mum downstairs to have a bath. Even if baby grumbles for the entire time that mum's in the bath, as long as she can't really hear that, it's a massive support just to know that you've taken over for a little while. And the same goes for overnight. You know, those first few weeks, you're not going to be getting massively long stretches. So you are both going to be run down. But having someone who can actually be awake can just be a huge support. You don't need to do anything else, but actually being able to sort of get yourself up, give yourself a shake and have a conversation can mean so much. I think it's really important to feel like you're on the same team when you have a small baby. And it doesn't always feel like that because experiences are different. And obviously there is usually a lot of pressure on one, the main caregiver to to do it all but as you say just having it being able to have a chat feeling like you're you know taking it in turns a wee bit or at least that you're supported by your partner can make the world of difference but also as I kind of hear in his question there are a lot of expectations I think and there's usually one party who's read more than than the other so I think it's really important to talk stuff through and to kind of share that knowledge you know if you are the one who loves to read and find out about everything talk about it with your partner so it's not that feeling that you know that you feel like you're being got at because you're not doing something right which I'm sure is never how another partner would mean it but it can sometimes feel like that if you have taken on the main, main caregiver role yeah and also to not compare there's nothing worse for parents than Sally from the antenatal group who has a baby that sleeps six hours a night and your baby's only sleeping three there is always going to be a baby who is you know it's a bit like that life adage there's always going to be a baby that will sleep more and sleep less than your baby and the important thing to remember is to not feel too anxious when you hear about the baby that's sleeping more and not be too smug when you hear about the baby <laughs> sleeping less. Definitely, definitely. So that's five things about babies and bedtime routines. There is no perfect bedtime routine. It's about what fits in with you and your family. Personally, I really dig a bath before bed. For me, baths are absolutely the new going out these days. And it's pretty much the only time I get the bathroom to myself. But I love baths because they help me sleep. And bath time and bedtime can be a really lovely, snuggly time for you and baby as it helps them to sleep too. But it can also be really exhausting. It's the end of the day, you're starving. I'm usually like shoveling handfuls of cheese into my mouth from the fridge as I run my kids' bath. So it can feel like something you've got to get through before you get some you time. 
So there's no pressure on how much or how little you do for your bedtime routine. We've really just given you some suggestions. The most important thing is to try and keep it as consistent as possible, as we said. As ever, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. So please tell your friends. Well, maybe just the ones who need the lowdown on baby sleep. Not everyone. They might not be that interested. (laughs) And it would be lovely if you could write us a five-star review. Sorry, did I say five-star? Just write us a review. That would be great. (laughs) Five stars. Or send us some love. You can get in touch with us online at The Sleep Mums or on our website, thesleepmums.co.uk. Look after yourself and sleep soon. 